Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. How are we all? Great. Uh, We're going to continue today. Uh, We've been looking at Mark's Gospel. We've been going back to the heart of Jesus. What is Jesus' mission? What is our mission? Let's read the next paragraph in Mark chapter 1 from verse 14. Mark chapter 1 verse 14. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you to to become fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Going a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets, and immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Let's ask God to help us again. Uh, Father, thank you again. It's been great to be here so far this morning to gather with your people and to sing your praises. Help us as we look at this portion of your word and this concept this morning. Be our teacher, Holy Spirit. Guide us and lead us into truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, um, last week we saw what does Jesus do? The heart of Jesus' mission. He announces his kingdom is near. He calls for that response repent and believe in the gospel. And then Jesus gets into his method. How does Jesus live out and proclaim the kingdom of God is near? How does, God, how does Jesus declare the kingdom? Well, next paragraph, his method, if the heart is his kingdom, the method is discipleship. He starts calling individuals. Hey, you, come, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. The Gospels are chock full of stories about Jesus. If you want to uh, know what uh, um, Jesus is on about, you look at the Gospels, and when you look at the Gospels, you see uh, story after story after story about Jesus and his disciples, Jesus teaching his disciples, Jesus calling his disciples, Jesus sending his disciples. You come to the end of the Gospels, just before Jesus goes back to heaven, and Jesus leaves one final message with his disciples. He says, Matthew 28, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What's he saying? Saying the kingdom is near. The kingdom is here. All authority. I'm Lord. I'm king. My kingdom has begun. And so, what happens next? Verse 19, therefore, go and make disciples. Here is the heart. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The kingdom of God has come. The method... Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. I have made disciples of you, now you go and make disciples of others in the way I have taught you. 
If we think about it, though, isn't this paragraph we've read just slightly weird? I mean, if you've been reading the Bible, if you've been coming to church for a while, uh, this story of Jesus calling his disciples to follow him, you've probably heard it or, or thought about it, read it, read it lots of times, and you don't think about it anymore because we just read it and we say, yeah, 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 that story. But imagine, this is the first time you're reading this story. Isn't it a little bit weird? I mean, what does Jesus mean, follow me? Does he mean that every, or everyone's got to line up in a big single line and, you know, to follow the leader? Whatever Jesus does, follow him as he walks down the road. I mean, think about it. Jesus says to these disciples, follow me. And they left their nets and followed him. I mean... Think of this uh, Wednesday afternoon this week, period five, Dan turns up to Mueller College and strolls into Bryn's classroom teaching whatever he teaches, let's say year 11 HPE or something, I don't know, and he says, knock, knock, hey Dan, come, follow me. And Dan says, uh, uh, Bryn says, hey, that's great. See you guys, see you Paul, I've got to go, I'm with him. Imagine Shane comes into the emergency room and Ruth is in the middle of a, a resuscitation of a guy who's just had a heart attack and Shane says, hey, just sticking my head through the door here if you don't mind, Ruth, come, follow me. And Ruth says, oh, yeah, Shane wants me to follow him, let's go, yes, see you guys, got to go, can't stay. I mean, it's weird, isn't it? Jesus just comes and he says, Hey, guys, drop your nets. Don't worry about that. Follow me. Follow me from now on. They say, yeah, okay. See you, see you, Dad. Well, just leave the boats here. Leave the nets. We're off. Oh, it's weird, isn't it? I mean, how did they make ends meet? How did they eat? Where did they get money from, from then on? You might say, well, that just sounds great. You know, God must provide from now on when you start following Jesus. You can forget about your work and it's all sorted. Sounds like a great deal. Can you be a Christian without being a follower of Jesus? Can you be a Christian without being a disciple? Let's start with that question first. Are all Christians disciples? Well, some people have suggested that it may be possible to be a Christian without being a disciple, but I don't think that is the case at all. All Christians are disciples of Jesus. You see this in Mark chapter 8. This is in the center of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And at the climax, at the peak, if you like, the middle of Jesus' ministry, he turns to all the crowds and he says, Hey, everybody, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And you see that this is in the context of eternal salvation. If you save your life, uh, you'll lose it. If you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his own soul? You've got to follow me. You can't live for yourself. Jesus is saying, if you want to have eternal life, you must turn from your life to become a follower of me. Later in Acts the two terms are used interchangeably. In Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. They were called disciples and now they're called Christians. So every Christian is a disciple of Jesus, but of course there's different types of disciples. Sometimes, fairly rarely actually, uh, 
the disciples usually are the 12 disciples when it's mentioned in the Gospels, but sometimes it's a crowd of followers. And so Luke chapter 6, he came down with them, stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples. And where it talks about following Jesus, they're not all of them following Jesus every step every day, all the great crowds. That verse we read before, let him take up his cross, well that's metaphorical isn't it? Nobody, not every disciple was going to physically take up a cross, it's metaphorical. It's saying that your old life is over, you've sent that to the cross, you've embraced the new life and same with follow me, it's metaphorical for most people, they're not every day, all day, they're not leaving their job to full-time follow Jesus, it's metaphorical, you're saying I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to be like him, I'm going to get near him as close as I can as part of the crowd. And so this great crowd, they followed him as much as they possibly could when he was preaching, when he was healing from, from a distance. The great crowd. Uh, but then you've got the 12 at the middle. And these are, tw- are, are the 12 apostles of Jesus. They're a special group of 12. And these guys, they leave their old pursuits and they become a full-time follower of Jesus. This is their occupation, if you like. These are the 12. And these are literally leaving all, leaving their work. They are learning Jesus close to him. All day, every day. And then... The third type, uh, outside of this 12, in Luke chapter 10, we read that this, this central group of 12 spreads and it becomes a wider group of 72 others and these 72 become full-time missionaries as well. I wonder if 72, the reason it's 72 is because each of the initial 12 gets six That's my speculation, purely speculation, only based on the fact that 72 divided by 12 equals 6. 6 times 12. Is it a coincidence? Maybe that's what's going on. And each disciple, Jesus says, you're going to be involved in making disciples. I want you to take each six of these and have a go. Practice making disciples under my tutelage. And so everybody's a disciple, but at the core there's... 12 are called out to to give their life over to full-time following of Jesus and that 12 spreads to 72 who also are full-time missionaries of Jesus and so there's the crowd but there's also the growing circle of people who their whole life is literally given over to becoming full-time missionaries of Jesus. So all all Christians are disciples of Jesus. All Christians are called to follow Jesus, to deny ourselves, to take up our crosses. But not all Christians are necessarily going to leave their full-time normal occupation to do that. What does it mean when Jesus said, follow me? How did that work, practically speaking? They, They left their nets and... New occupation, well, how did they make ends meet when they gave up their work? Seems slightly impractical for us in today's culture, but this was quite normal in first century culture. Uh, There were different types of discipleship, uh, different types of learning in the ancient world, um, but to be a disciple was probably, 
analogy now might be I'm going to quit my full-time job as a, as, as a teacher or as a plumber or as a builder and I'm going to go and be a full-time student at university. I'm going to have a career change. I'm going to be a full-time student. And uh, they didn't have hex debts back in those days. They didn't have government loans they could apply for. They lived off the generosity of benefactors uh, who they often stayed with, and they probably did a bit of part-time work with the people they stayed with. A little bit like your full-time uni students going down and doing a bit of work at Domino's to make ends meet. And so Acts chapter 18, Paul, he goes on his preaching trip, he comes to Corinth, and who am I going to stay with? Oh, there's Aquila and Priscilla, they're tent makers, I've got a tent making background. He works with them, he probably, he stays with them, he gets some work with them, he leads them to Christ, he builds the church out of that place, he takes them on the next missionary journey with them. How it worked, in the first century, the most important person in your little community was the rabbi. And he would lead church, the synagogue, on Saturday, and everybody would go to church. But then, during the week, every kid in the village from age 5 to 10 would be sent to synagogue to learn how to read and write and a little bit of basic theology from your rabbi. And then at age 10, they would graduate and go home to learn a trade. But the rabbi would be eyeing off this group of kids and saying, who are the most promising kids? And he would invite a special few to go to the next stage of training. And they would stay another five years with him and do five years of theology. And during those five years, the rabbi would again be looking at this bunch of kids coming through and he would be eyeing them off and he would pick out the standout students and they would become his Talmudim, his disciples. And the Talmudim, after these five extra years, they would be his disciples and they would go everywhere their rabbi went, literally. They would eat what he ate, they would sleep next door to him, they would jump at his every word, they would live in such a close relationship, they would become the apprentice rabbis, they were the rabbis of the next generation, the leaders of the town of the future. And so when Jesus comes to these four uneducated, rough fishermen, and he says, hey, follow me, what he is saying is he's inviting them into the most amazing opportunity in their world possible. Will you be my Talmudim? It's one of the highest honours possible. You're the leaders of the next generation. And he's saying, and the disciples, they're probably saying, who, me? You've got to be kidding. Me? A, a fisherman? Jesus has chosen me? What an incredible opportunity. Where do I sign up? You look at Paul and how Paul travels on his missionary journeys, you see that he uses a very similar method that Jesus does. He builds a team of disciples who travel with him, Timothy, Titus, Silas, Luke, Epaphras, and he sends them off and he calls them back in and he's preparing them to let them loose when his ministry is over. So what does this have to do with us today? What does it mean for us to be followers of Jesus in the 21st century? Jesus told us to go and make disciples. Well, you'll be relieved to know, I don't think we need to recreate Jewish first century education system. 
Uh, we don't all need to resign from work to become followers of Jesus. Uh, we don't all need to join some sort of kibbutz uh, to become followers of Jesus. But I think we're wise to look at what Jesus is doing and see what the principles are. First of all is this. Being a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus, it is basically saying, I want to be like this man, Jesus. This man, of Jesus, this man Jesus, has called me to a new life and I, I, I'm finished with my old life. I want to be like him. It's not I want to join a church. It's not I'm becoming religious. It's I want to be like Jesus. It's not just, oh, this sounds like a good deal. It means I can go to heaven when I die. It's not sort of investing in fire insurance, uh, eternal fire insurance, become a Christian, you don't go to hell. It's I become a Christian because I want to be like that man. I want him to change me. What did Jesus look like? Well, if you just look through the Gospels, just look at Mark chapters 1 and 2. Jesus is a man who has an incredible intimacy with his Father God. He is so close to his Father God. That's what Jesus looks like. Jesus has an incredible power and authority in his life. He enters into Satan's realm and the demons tremble. And there is sort of a shaking of Satan's kingdom when this man enters the room, when this man encounters evil. The demons tremble. They know that here is the power of God invading earth. That's what Jesus looks like. Jesus has an incredible compassion on the sick, on the people in society that nobody else cares about. Jesus has an incredible passion and heart for people, and he reaches out and touches them and goes places that no one else goes. Jesus has an incredible grace, a kindness which reaches out to sinners, people who everybody else has given up on. That's what Jesus looks like. Jesus has a righteousness, a quality of life that challenges the religious hypocrites of the day. That's a little bit of what Jesus looks like. If you become a follower of Jesus, it means I want to become like him. That's the, that's the road which Jesus invites us to live on. Discipleship is fundamentally a relationship. The, the, the rabbi invites those people into his life and they're living and learning from him. It's not a course you do. It's not a one-hour slot in your week. It's a relationship. And I don't think we necessarily need to do it exactly how Jesus did it. Uh, it's not like we, we need to commit ourselves to one person like Jesus uh, and his disciples do. In the context of a church family, we'll probably be receiving discipleship from lots of people. However, I do think there's great value when one person specifically decides to take responsibility to disciple a group of people and takes that group and invests in them. And like Jesus, he says to Peter, I will see you through. A rough, foolish, naive guy like Peter, Jesus says, I've prayed for you, Peter, and I am going to see you through until you become a world changer by God's grace and through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
and people take responsibility and it's not just oh, everybody does sort of disciples everybody and everybody falls through the cracks because nobody is really taking responsibility for another person. I think it means we need to be committed in discipling relationships to one another. I think we can learn from the methods which Jesus used. I summarize it in three ways. Jesus used in discipling his followers information. He gave them scriptures, he gave them parables, he gave them sermons, he gave them Bible studies. Secondly, he uses imitation. He calls them into his life and he lets them watch him preach, watch him heal, watch him deal with the Pharisees. He invites them to come into his personal prayer life. He, he watches them. We're so influenced by the things we see and the people we hang around with. Christianity, like anything else, so much is caught rather than just being taught. And thirdly, Jesus uses implementation. Jesus gives them tasks to do. He sends them out to preach, out to heal, out to serve. People learn by doing. You don't learn to swim by reading a book. You learn to swim by jumping in a pool. So in discipleship at Creekside, if you're new here, uh, the main structure for discipleship we use alongside our Sunday morning church services are our community groups during the week. Uh, as we shared a month or two ago, we've got five core values for our community groups. We try to aim to have our community groups being educational. That's the information side of it. Uh, they're formational. They are challenging us to grow in our character and our calling. They're communal. They're built around relationships with one another. They're missional. We're being sent to bring God's blessing to the world around us. And they're reproducible, just like Jesus said to his disciples, I've discipled you, now you go and disciple others. So if you're not in a community group, as we often say, uh, we'd love you to get involved. So come and tap me on the shoulder uh, and we can try and connect you in. Finally this morning, why is discipleship important? Well, because it's what Jesus did and because it's what Jesus told us to do. Jesus wasn't about getting a big crowd primarily. When Jesus left, the first church service after Jesus left, how many people were there? 120 disciples. Jesus has been ministering for three years and he's got a crowd of 120 after he leaves. Well, you know, I'm not sure if that's such a great record, is it? I mean, Mark Driscoll could triple that. Joel Osteen. Could do much better, Brian Houston. Is that a great record? Well, think about it this way. Jesus has a ministry for three years. And at the end of that three years, he's got 12 full-time disciples, which has multiplied out to 72 full-time disciples, which is 84 full-time missionaries out of three. Now, that's an incredibly impressive record. Wouldn't you agree? 84 People who are sold out to Jesus, who are reproducing the life that they have seen in Jesus, ready to live on mission for him. Discipleship is important because actually it's what we need. Uh, all you've got to do to see that if you're new to church is hang around here and you'll see that. We need discipleship because some people in our church, some people in our church, they look a lot like Jesus. They don't know that probably, but they do. They're living out the life of Jesus. Some of us, we look a little like Jesus. 
and we're growing. Some of us, actually, we don't look much like Jesus at all yet. We've just begun. And if you hang around churches long enough, you will realize that churches are full of ordinary people, ordinary people on a journey. Churches are often messy places, and you'll find hypocrisy, you'll find legalism, you will find corruption. Sadly, you will find adultery. You will find addiction. There's a guy by the name of Larry. He's a 41-year-old founding pastor of a rapidly growing church. Married for 20 years, four children. And over 18 years, the church grew from about 100 people to more than 4,000 people. 35 staff members. Larry, everybody loved Larry, the founding pastor. Friendly, easygoing. Great guy. Until one day everything changed when the truth emerged. He had been having a three-year affair with a woman in another town. And the strange thing was, during those three years, the church was thriving. Attendance increased by 700 people. Many people came to faith. The church's impact on the community was expanding. And Larry even preached a popular series on biblical marriage and family life for six weeks during that period. After Larry resigned, people wanted to know, how did this happen? Didn't you see the signs that there was something wrong in that guy up the front? And this is what the chairman of the board said. We saw things that concerned us. Larry was always on the move, juggling new projects, speaking at conferences, hiring new staff. It was hard for us to keep up with how quickly the church was changing. None of us probed and asked deeper questions. The reality is we were so caught up in the excitement over things like the new building campaign and the attendance numbers skyrocketing that we disregarded what we did notice. We, dis we attributed his behaviour to the normal stresses that come with growth. And then he said this, What makes this whole situation so hard to understand? is that some of our most powerful weekend services took place during the three years he was having his affair. That's an extreme story. But milder examples of that story are actually commonplace. In that churches are full of people who, yeah, we don't have it all together. We're struggling with the common things of life. We can be highly involved in church, saying the right things, highly involved in church programs, but actually we're not living on the road of discipleship in which we're actually day by day becoming more like Jesus. Becoming a Christian, it's not just getting a ticket to heaven, it's not just investing in fire ins eternal fire insurance, it's signing up for a journey in which you're saying, I want to become more like Jesus. I want to be transformed to be like him, just the way Jesus was. Just like Jesus had a plan for his disciples, today, friends, Jesus has a plan for you. He has a plan for me. He's got a vision for us. I don't know what that vision is. It might be very different for each one of us. It might be very different from the pathway you're following now in your life. And Jesus is sort of trying to get your attention. He's saying, hey, come and follow me. Stop what you're doing. So let's hear this call of Jesus as it's in the word of God again this morning. Come and follow me.
Let's pray together. You might be saying, I'm not good enough to follow Jesus. Well, listen to the words of Jesus. I've not come to call righteous people, but sinners to repentance. And you look at the 12 disciples that Jesus called, and half of them were ratbags. Jesus has come for sinners, people, sinful people, and he comes to forgive and to transform. I wonder if there's anyone here this morning and you've been wandering from that call of Jesus because of just competing distractions and calls upon your life. Uh, calls from your career, from your family, from your hobbies. And this morning you need to just take a step back from all that you're involved with and just get back on that simple, pure pathway of following Jesus as the first thing in your life. Maybe there's people that you've become jaded. You've been involved in the church scene. You're just running around doing church stuff. Your life's so full. And you've lost the joy because you've actually just stopped following Jesus in it. And you're just doing things. This morning, just take a step back. What's the stuff you need to drop? What's the stuff you need to leave behind and get back on that simple pathway of following Jesus? Where is Jesus calling you to follow him this morning? Father God, we thank you so much that you love us. And you're saying to us, follow me. Come and follow. I've got a life for you to live. I've got a journey for you to go on. Father, thank you so much. Just like you said to those 12 simple, uneducated men, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Lord, you've got a plan for us as well. We thank you for that. Uh, Lord, we just want to respond to you then today. We want to say, here I am, Lord. Send me. We thank you, Father. We thank you for all that Jesus has done for us. And now, Lord, we just respond to him and say, Lord, teach us. Teach us where you want us to go. Teach us how to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.